And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister, sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So the question asked by this man who approaches Jesus in our story this morning, this rich young ruler, is uh, really, it's one of the most important questions that anyone could ever ask. Did you hear what he asked Jesus? He said, what must I do to be saved or to inherit eternal life? Now, most of us, at one point or another in our lives, some of us more than others, depending on, you know, our life experience or our personality or our interests, most of us consider um, the serious questions of life at one point or another, you know, Questions that philosophers and theologians have been wrestling with for millennia. You know, where do I come from? Um, Why do I exist? Will the Cowboys ever win another Super Bowl? Those sorts of questions. What happens after death? You know, those are the important questions of life. The life, the, the, the questions that literature, that theology, that philosophy has tried to wrestle with and grapple with for centuries, and hopefully that you, in your own story, have tried to wrestle with and grapple with a little bit. Well, the Bible, the ancient Christian scriptures, address those questions through stories, among other ways, and this morning we see one of those major questions, how do we get saved? How do we inherit eternal life? How do we go to heaven when we die? That's the question. It kind of gets filtered into our lives, into our hearts and our heads, through this story of the rich young ruler and his encounter with Jesus. So I'd love for you this morning to uh, take a couple of minutes and be willing to consider this question along with me through the lens of this scriptural story. No matter where you are, no matter if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian or if you're not sure what you are, this is something that is worth a few minutes of our time. 
Now, some of you Christians might be familiar with uh, the classic evangelism training program called Evangelism Explosion. It was very popular a couple of decades ago and still has some popularity. But one of the things that I enjoy and like about Evangelism Explosion is that it contains two what they call diagnostic questions that help us discern where we are and where other people are spiritually. And um, one of the questions that I think is one of the best questions that you could ask yourself or ask someone else to figure out your own spiritual condition is this. If you were to die tonight and go before God and God was going to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you respond? That's one of the best questions that you can ask yourself or ask someone else that you love if you want to be able to discern and know how someone would, how you would answer the question that the rich young ruler asks Jesus here. That is really the question that we want to consider that's going to occupy our time this morning as we study this important interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler. So here's the main point, okay? Here's the main idea that I want you to hear and I want you to believe this morning. Eternal life cannot be earned through our goodness. It can only be received through Christ's grace. Okay? Eternal life cannot be earned through our goodness. It can only be received through Christ's grace. If you want to understand Christianity, if you want to understand the Bible, if you want to know what we're all about as a church here at Christ Church and what other churches are all about, then this is one of the main central messages of Christianity. It's the heart of the Christian story. Eternal life cannot be earned through our goodness. It can only be received through Christ's grace. That's the main point of this story of Jesus and this rich young man. So let's break this story down into three parts, okay? Three things I want to show you. First, a very good man. Second, a very high standard. And third, a very costly gift, okay? Very good man, very high standard, very costly gift, okay? So here we go. First, we see here a very good man. In verse 17 of chapter 10, we read from Mark about a young man who approaches Jesus with this all-important question that we've just been talking about. And it's important to understand some things about this man. First, we know that he is a good man. Um, He's presented here by Mark as law-abiding, as observant, as respectful, as, as an earnest man. You know, he obviously takes the word of God very seriously. He approaches Jesus respectfully. Look at what Mark says. He comes to Jesus and he knelt before him, Mark says. This guy is an impressive figure. That's something you need to get. He is the type of person that we want our children to be like when they grow up. He is the, the type of person that we sort of want to have in our social circles. The other gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, tell us more about this man. Matthew tells us that not only is he a young man, but he is a young, rich man. We see that here in Mark as well, at the, later on in the story, uh, that this man has great possessions. So he's young and he's rich. Now, in the ancient world, in the world of ancient Judaism, the world that Jesus was interacting in, When you had wealth, that typically, in their mind, was a sign of God's favor, a sign of God's blessing, by and large. So that's sort of another check in this guy's inventory of life. He's young, he's rich, he's probably good-looking, because it's hard to be young and rich and not good-looking, so he's probably good-looking. And then he's also young, rich, and a ruler, according to Luke. And what that means is that he is a guy that has social, cultural, and spiritual authority. 
or capital in the circles that he runs in. He, he holds a position of prominence, right? A position of importance. So this man has youth. This man has influence. This man has money, which means that he's a good person, according to the ancient Jewish mind. And he is very seriously religious. You know, to be perfectly frank with you, as a church planter, that's sort of the ideal type for who you want to start a church with. I mean, this is the kind of guy that you want around your world. He's a very good man. And that fact makes his interaction here with Jesus all the more telling. Now, from the perspective of Mark's story, we start to see a few subtle cracks in this very good, good man's armor, so to speak, in the first words that he gives to Jesus and Jesus's initial response to him. A couple of things. Look, first, notice that he calls Jesus good teacher. You see that there in verse 17? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, probably part of that is that he just wants to be respectful. He's a nice guy. He's a religious guy. He's been to the best rabbinical schools. He knows how to address a rabbi. But part of it, I think, part of the reason Mark includes it is because it reveals to us something about the way this man thinks. You see, for this man, it is all about how good you can be. He's done well, you see, but Jesus is really good. And he needs to learn how to be better, how to be as good as Jesus. And Jesus picks up on this in his first response to the man. Jesus hints here at what his final words to this man are going to be. He sort of telegraphs his punch, you know, to use boxing terms. He says, why do you call me good? There in verse 18, no one is good except God alone. Now, why would Jesus say that? Now, Jesus isn't saying he's not good, by the way. He doesn't say here, I, Jesus, am not good. He doesn't say that. What he's really trying to show this young man and what Mark in recording these words of Jesus is trying to show us is that Jesus is sort of saying, you know, why are you talking up to somebody that you think is a normal human rabbi and calling him good? Jesus is sort of saying there's a flaw in your whole idea of goodness and badness. And listen, that gets to the very point This rich young ruler lives on an economy of what he has done. His entire understanding of himself and of other people, and especially of God, is based on a sliding scale of how good or how bad you have been. And when compared with most people, this guy is really, really good, right? But Jesus, when this guy comes to him and says, what do I need to do? Notice that. What do I need to do to inherit or to earn eternal life? Jesus doesn't say, listen, buddy, pat him on the back. You're in the top one. You are a one percenter in religious terms. You're doing amazing. In terms of morality, you are above almost anyone else I've encountered in my ministry. You shouldn't worry about eternal life. You're well on your way. That's not what Jesus says at all. And the reason is because Jesus wants to show this man that no one can ever earn eternal life. Life with God. Heaven. Hope after death. Through his or her goodness. You cannot earn eternal life through your goodness. The goal is not merely to be good. If that is your goal, you will never reach it. And you will never really understand what God is like. 
You will never really have joy and hope in your life. If you're not a Christian this morning, or if you're not sure where you stand when it comes to the Bible or to Christianity, you have to get this. Let me read a couple of quotes. In fact, I'm going to show them on the slide. The first one is from a gentleman named John Chapman. Listen to what he says. One of the most common errors made in thinking about Christianity is to mistake good people for Christians. It is possible to be a good person and be an atheist. It is possible to be a good person and be a Buddhist. It's also possible to be a good person, quote unquote, and be a Christian. However, really good people have several real problems. The first of which is that no matter how hard they try, they can never make themselves good enough for God. Secondly, listen to one of my spiritual mentors, one of the many dead guys that I love, C.S. Lewis, to what he says in Mere Christianity. That should be up as well. Thank you, Peyton. Here's what Lewis writes. If you have sound nerves and intelligence and health and popularity and a good upbringing, you are likely to be quite satisfied with, the, with your character as it is. Why drag God into it, you may ask? A certain level of good conduct comes fairly easily to you. You are not one of those wretched creatures who are always being tripped up by sex or a bad temper. Everyone says you are a nice chap, and between ourselves, you agree with them. You are quite likely to believe that all this niceness is your own doing, and you may easily not feel the need for any better kind of goodness. Often, people who have all these natural kinds of goodness cannot be brought to recognize their need for Christ at all until one day the natural goodness lets them down and their self-satisfaction is shattered. In other words, it is hard for those who are rich in this sense to enter the kingdom. You see, here we see this rich young ruler's natural goodness being shattered. Shattered through Jesus' love. And I'm saying that your natural goodness and your reliance upon it, in a sense, needs to be shattered too. If you ever want to understand Jesus. So let's see how Jesus continues the work here. We see uh, this guy is a very good man, but secondly, Jesus shows him a very high standard. Okay, so this very good man has asked Jesus what he needs to do. Again, notice that, what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And let's look at Jesus' answer. Notice, Jesus doesn't share the gospel with him, (laughs) at least not immediately. He doesn't, you know, bust out Romans and go through the Romans road or pull out his evangelism track and do the four spiritual laws. He doesn't do any of those things. Jesus talks about the Ten Commandments. You know, Jesus would have failed evangelism 101 here, by the way. That is not the normal thing you do when you sort of get a softball question as a Christian. What do I need to do to be saved? Well, you would expect Jesus to say, repent and believe the gospel. But that's not what he says. Instead, he starts talking to this man about the law. He says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the rich young ruler says, what? All of these things I have done. I have kept all of these commandments since I was a boy. Now, notice Jesus doesn't dispute that, right? This man has tried hard. He has sought to be observant. He's not sexually immoral. He's not a thief. He's not a murderer. But Jesus is exposing him here, you see. He is, in effect, teaching him and teaching us that the critical matter is not what you do or don't do. It is who you are deep down on the inside. 
The critical factor is the condition of your heart. So Jesus goes on to perform spiritual surgery on this man. He says in verse 21, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And Mark tells us that the man goes away disheartened or grieving or sad because he has great possessions. Now, what's Jesus doing here and what can we learn? A couple of things, okay? First, and perhaps foremost, is this. The standard for comparison in God's eyes, the standard for entry into eternal life, into heaven, into the kingdom of God, is not how much better you are than others. Either in your eyes or in the eyes of other people. The standard is God's own character. The standard is perfection. That's why Jesus says a little bit later in Mark, chapter 12, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's why he says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It is a very high standard. In fact, it is an impossible standard. That's why Jesus says it's more likely for a rich man, for someone who relies upon himself, to it's more likely for him to go into heaven. It's about as likely as a camel to go through the eye, the eye of a needle. It's, it's an impossible standard for this man or for any of us to meet. And think about it this way. Maybe some of you younger people, you high school students, imagine that you're going to a movie with one of your friends and you only have cash with you. And uh, the movie, let's say, is $12. Who knows what movies cost these days? $40. No, $12. And uh, let's say you have $8 and your friend has $2. Don't have any other cash on you. No other money, no debit card that you stole from mom and dad before you went to the movie. Okay? $8, $2. Well, you have more than your friend. You're, in a sense, doing better than your friend. But neither of you have come close to meeting the standard. Neither of you can get into the movie, at least not through legitimate means. And I'm sure none of you would ever consider sneaking into a movie theater. So neither of you have enough money to get in. That's exactly what Jesus is staying here. Just because you might be better, so to speak, in your eyes or in others' eyes, than some other people doesn't mean you have met the standard that God requires. Think about it this way. At our house, and you know, I've got three kids, and Nate is six and a half. We have a little basketball goal that sometimes we pull out into the front of the driveway, and I will play basketball with Nate. And uh, Nate's six. And our basketball goal is a six-foot goal. And let me tell you, I dominate him. I mean, I am Tim Duncan out there. I've got the Kareem skyhook. I've got the Wilt two-handed power slam. I've got it all. I mean, he does not stand a chance. It's on video. I I might project. No, I'm not going to really project it on the screen. I mean, I, I dominate Nate. He stands no chance against me. I try to be gracious and merciful, but... Sometimes my competitive urges uh, sneak in a little bit. But the standard for basketball skill is not whether I can dunk on a six-foot goal over my six-year-old son. That's actually quite pathetic, isn't it? Um, That doesn't mean I can go play in the NBA tonight with the Spurs. We try to reduce the standard to our level of goodness or accomplishment, you see. And that is dangerous because it blinds us to how impossible the real standard is to meet. Listen. Listen, you have as much of a chance of earning your way into heaven 
as I do of playing for the Spurs tonight. You have as much of a chance of earning your way into heaven as a camel does going through the pen, the eye of a needle, which is to say that you have no chance, zero percent likelihood that you are going to earn your way into God's favor, into God's goodness. That's what Jesus wants to communicate to this man, and that's what he wants to communicate to you and to me as well. Second thing to learn real quick, okay? Perhaps the main thing in our life that blinds us to our true need, to our true position, to what we're really like before God is money. I mean, after all, that's what blinded this very good man, right? Why did he go away? Verse 22, because, purpose clause, because he had great possessions. That was the reason. And then Jesus says twice in 23 through 25, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Well, it's not because wealth is a bad thing in and of itself. It's not. And the scriptures don't teach that. But wealth does have a special power to blind us to our own need. In fact, money has an almost unparalleled ability to make us feel safe and secure and content. And Jesus knew that that was the case with this man. He knew that his true God was not Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the living one true God. He knew his true God was money, which is why Jesus pressed on just this issue, sell all that you have and come follow me. And you know what? The same is true oftentimes for me and for you. And it needs to be put as strongly and bluntly as Jesus puts it. An, abil- an inability to part with wealth or an inordinate love of money will keep you out of heaven. So what is your true God? It's a question that you're being asked through the scriptures. Who is it that you are really serving, God or money? You know, maybe a way to diagnose that in your own life is to imagine this with me. Imagine your life without money. I know that's really hard for Americans to do. It's not hard for Syrians. It's hard for Americans, but try. Imagine your life without any money, no inheritance, No income, no house, no 401k, no stuff, no savings, no Christmas presents, all of it gone. All you have is Jesus. Can you live like that? If that thought terrifies you, if it makes you want to walk away sad like this rich young ruler did, then you need to run to Jesus in repentance and faith. You need to confess that you perhaps have been trusting in money more than you thought. And you need to confess the false security that you think it brings you and realize that God is the only real security that you'll ever have. So the standard is perfection. Oftentimes our love of money causes us to not see the real standard. And then finally, it's worth seeing in this second point that Jesus says these things, verse 21, to this man because he loved him. You see that? And Jesus looking at him loved him and said, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, come follow me. Listen, Jesus is not being spiteful here. Jesus is not being unnecessarily cruel to this very good, rich, religious young man. He is, in fact, being loving. He is being kind. 
Jesus is also being loving and kind to us when he shows us through the scripture that there is no level of goodness that we can achieve that will make God accept us, that will force God's hand when it comes to our relationship with him. Jesus is being loving and kind to us when he tells us that when we have money as our savior, it will always fail us in the end. He is being loving and kind to tell us that getting rid of everything else to follow Jesus is not something that will harm us. Rather, getting rid of everything else to follow Jesus perhaps will be the only thing that will save us. Do you hear and do you understand Jesus' loving warnings to you? Do you see the very high standard and acknowledge that you cannot reach it? Are you willing to part with the fake security that you think is money is bringing you to have Jesus? He loves you enough to warn you here, to show you how to really have eternal life. And the question is, do you hear him? Do you hear him? Do you believe him? He has one more thing to show us today. We see a very good man, a very high standard that none of us can reach. And then thirdly, a very costly gift. Jesus' own disciples... <clears throat> No surprise by now in Mark. Jesus' own disciples are shocked. In fact, Mark tells us in 26 that they are exceedingly astonished. I mean, that is like super shocked. They're super, super shocked that Jesus would say this to the rich young ruler. Remember, these guys are thinking like the normal church planner thinks. I need that guy as a part of my core group. That guy brings assets. That guy has gifts. That guy can help us move the mission forward. And Jesus has sort of brushed the guy off, they think. And so they're exceedingly astonished. And they ask Jesus, listen, Jesus, who can be saved? And that reveals that they're operating on sort of a man-made standard as well, right? They're thinking, if that guy can't get into heaven, if that guy's not good enough, who in the world is good enough? Jesus, come on. I mean, that guy's grade A, top 1%. That is the kind of guy we need if we're really going to take over and bring the kingdom of God. What are you doing, Jesus? You're sending him away. Hold on. Come on back, buddy. Jesus was just joking with you. Right? And then Jesus says, okay, maybe you're finally beginning to get it, disciples. Jesus' response is very sharp. Look at what he says. It's as if he's saying, now you're asking the right questions. With man, this is impossible, he says in 27, but not with God. Not with God, for all things are possible with God. So let's conclude just for a minute by thinking about that, okay? What does Jesus mean there? It is, if it is impossible with man, how do you get eternal life, right? I mean, that's the question. The whole question that this story revolves around. How can you be saved? If this guy can't inherit the kingdom of God through his works, through earning it, how do you? You're not even close to this guy. I'm not even close to this guy. How is this guy not going to get in and then we're going to find a way in? If he can't earn it, and if we can't earn it, how in the world are we going to get it? Well, here's how. The answer is that it is not earned or inherited because of anything we do or could do. Rather, eternal life is given as a gift through what Jesus himself did, you see. You know, the rich young ruler, good as he is, can never be good enough. And you can never be good enough. I can never be good enough. We are not perfect. 
We're not even close to perfect. We all, in fact, by nature, deep in our hearts, love other things and other people or possessions more than we love God. We are what the Bible calls sinners. So how can sinners be saved? We can't reach the standard that God has set. It's an impossible standard. But God was willing to reach it for us, you see. You see, Jesus is the one who gives us eternal life because Jesus is the true rich young ruler. You see, Jesus is wealthy beyond our ability to imagine. Jesus dwelled in eternal heaven with God from before the foundation of the world. He is infinitely glorious and bright and beautiful and great. He possesses all things because he made all things. And Jesus was willing to do what the rich young ruler here was not. He was willing to give it all up. He gave it all up and entered into this world. He entered into our story. He left his glory. He left his wealth. He left his divine riches. He gave it all away and became utterly impoverished and abandoned for you and for me. You see, Jesus was willing to give up his wealth to bring us back to himself. He suffered for us. He died for us. He gave up everything he had by rights to save us on the cross and to forgive our rebellion. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, for our sakes, he, Jesus, became poor. See, Jesus did the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane that the rich young ruler does here. We read that the rich young ruler went away disheartened. That word is the word for sad or grieved. But Jesus also grieved in the Garden when he prayed to God, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go to the cross. If there's another way, let there be another way. But not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus didn't walk away sad. He walked to the cross sad for you. Jesus paid the debt that you owe to God and can never pay because of your sin. And he did it not because you've earned it or deserved it. He did it freely because he is loving and gracious. Jesus will never ask you to do anything for him that he has not already done for you. He says, perhaps you will need to leave everything and follow me because he has already left everything that he ever possessed or owned in heaven to pursue you in love. You see, Jesus is the only real rich young ruler. He's the only one who does meet God's standard. And he gives us the standard by grace that he himself has met through living a perfect life. And he takes our failures. He takes our breaking the standard. He takes our rebellion. He takes our sin upon himself when he dies on the cross. That's the great, the great transaction of the gospel And so what Jesus is saying here is the only way you will ever receive, the only way you will ever get, the only way you will ever earn eternal life is when you can finally realize that you will never do enough or be good enough to deserve it. It's only when you realize that I am good enough and that I have given it to you freely. So how how can we conclude? All we need to do to inherit the eternal life that Jesus offers is merely to say that we will receive it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to say we deserve it. We never could earn it or deserve it. We can only 
receive it. That's what Jesus means in the story just above the one we read in chapter 10, verse 15, when he has the children beside him. And he says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, like a child, shall not enter into it. A child knows that sometimes when he gets a gift, it's not because he's done anything deserving of that gift. It's because his parents love him. Only when you can become like a child in that sense can you truly enter into the kingdom. We must stop our attempts to earn, to be good enough. We must see ourselves truly that we cannot buy our way or earn our way into heaven. And we must accept the free gift that Jesus has earned for us like a little child. See, that is what grace is. It is receiving something that we don't deserve, that we could never earn. And that is how to enter into heaven. Jesus earned the way for you and gives you a pass free of charge through the forgiveness of sins in his death on the cross. So have you received it? If not, you can do that right now. <laughs> kind of go old school evangelistic on you. You can do that right now for the first time. You can pray to God, God, I know that I could never measure up to your expectations. I know that I don't love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I need your forgiving grace. I want to receive the offer of salvation that Jesus has made for me. You can pray that right now. If you've prayed that and done that and known that for a million years, then you need to, in a sense, receive it again this morning. You need to believe it again this morning. You need to trust that he died for you to pay for your failures to measure up and to pay for your pretended righteousness. And he lived for you to give you the righteousness and the goodness that you could never earn on your own. You see, that is the gospel. It's a truly glorious grace. Will you receive it this morning by trusting that Jesus did it for you? Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to see ourselves in a way that this rich young man was unwilling to see himself. To see ourselves as people that cannot earn your favor, that cannot earn eternal life, that cannot ever be good enough to get into heaven, to be with you, to know you, and to spend eternity with you. Father, we ask that you would help us to see our shortcomings and not to seek to be better, so to speak, but rather to look to Jesus Jesus is the only one who never had shortcomings, the only one who fully loved you with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength for every second of his life. And he willingly and freely gives us his earned righteousness through his, the cross and takes all of our failures and guilt and sin upon himself in the cross. And Father, we pray that we would believe that this morning and in faith rejoice at the love that you have shown to us in the gospel. We can't meet the standard and so you met it for us. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for that. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.